Welcome to the Texas Radio Theater Podcast, Season 8, Episode 3. This podcast is made possible by the Radio Memories Network, Libsyn.com, and RF Media at rfmediapro.com. The next few episodes are going to feature works not produced by the Texas Radio Theater, but from two groups we've worked with. At this time, and to the best of my knowledge, none of the shows have a presence on the Internet. I'm speaking of Schlock Audio Theater, produced by the Columbia Audio Theater over a dozen years ago. And for this occasion, I invited one of the founders of Schlock Audio Theater, Charles Pratt, to the podcast. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, we'll be hearing Colossus of New York. I believe this is the first one you and Bruce Humphreys did. Do you remember when that was? 2004 or 2005. It, it was no later than 2005. All right. Well, let's listen to that, and we'll come back right after it's done. This is Schlock Audio Theater on the Texas Radio Theater Podcast. We'll return to our program in just a moment, but now a word from Bodacious Books. Good morning, ma'am. How may we help you? Beautiful day, isn't it? I wouldn't know. I've been cooped up with Stephen King so long I've forgotten what daylight looks like. Funny, very funny. Is there a particular book you wish to read? I like mysteries. So do I. That's why I'm here. Nothing more mysterious than people's bailiwicks. I never expected such obscenity. Obviously, you've never read Philip Roth. Look, all I want is a book to read on the train. We do carry the full line of Dramamine products. Dramamine publishes books now? Just throwing up a few titles. Uh, here we are. Poetry in Motion, Wyatt Earp on the High Seas, I Am Spewious Yellow. Mm. As the world hurls. Sorry, no. Perhaps Nancy Drew, and then she forgot how. No. The Hardy Boys discover fabric uh, softener. Sounds like a wash. Wa- a wash, good one. May I quote you? Maybe something historic. Unmitigated gall. Why the French have loved Jerry Lewis since 100 B.C. Bodacious books now at the corner of paragraph and pun in the district. And now, back to our show. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Victor Proct, your humble host and narrator for tonight's schlock treatment, dealing with a Frankenstein of a whole different kind. The artificial kind. Long before Robocop or Terminator, there was the Colossus of New York. Sit back now and relax as we take you back to the future of 1958. Bigor, roll him! The young Dr. Jeremy Spencer, famous scientist and world-renowned humanitarian, makes a triumphant return to his home of New York City with his wife, son, brother, and father after winning the International Peace Prize in Stockholm. A group of photographers and newspaper reporters press round the famous doctor to hear him speak. Uh, A word, Dr. Spencer. 
Dr. Spencer is a world-famous brain surgeon and anatomist. You have to be proud of your son for carrying on such an amazing family legacy. Oh, yes. Jeremy is a genius in his own right, and whatever discoveries he makes, he will make them for the good of all mankind. What do you intend to do next, Dr. Spencer? I intend to turn my attentions towards... What the advancement you? of robotics. However, for now, if you'll excuse me, my family and I have a taxi to catch and a vacation to enjoy. As the Spencer family steps outside, a gust of wind catches Billy's toy airplane and blows it out of his hands. Danny, my airplane! I'll get it, son! Jeremy, look out! That speeding army truck! In the space of time it takes to see a speeding truck and to make horrible grimaces at the camera, the tragic event was over, and the genius humanitarian scientist lay dead in the road without a spot of blood on him. Do you think you can bring to bear all your vast knowledge of the brain and body to save him, Father? He's dead, Henry, but I've seen worse. Let's get him to the basement laboratory underneath our mansion, and I'll see what I can do. For several hours, Jeremy's family paces back and forth in front of the large locked door of the Elder Spencer's laboratory until... Well? He's still dead. I couldn't do anything for him. I'm sorry, Anne. <laughs> Henry, come in here a moment. Uh, what is it, Father? Look into this tank and tell me what you see. <gasps> it's... it's... Jeremy's brain. What do you intend on doing with it? Jeremy's mind still functions. I intend on transplanting his brain into a huge tin robot body that you will construct for him. And then he can continue to bless humanity with his ambiguously disgust humanitarianism. It's evil. I refuse to help you. You will help me. But nobody may know our secret because we're mad scientists and mad scientists always work alone and in secret. Yes, Father. You know best. Some time later. That's it. All we have to do is activate the secret lever, and Jeremy should live again. Secret lever, Father? Oh, yes. That way, after he goes on his inevitable psychotic rampage, one of us will be able to deactivate him mere seconds before he kills us. Ah! Activate! Before their amazed eyes, Dr. Jeremy Spencer sputters to life in the body of a clanking, bald-headed, gap-mouthed robot with two shiny nightlights for eyes. And since the Spencers have a sense of fashion, the Colossus is also outfitted with a wizard's robe and cloak. must continue your humanitarian goodness. You must survive. I cannot see like a man. I cannot feel like a man. I just want to die. But son, you were so close to making vegetables capable of growing in the North Pole climate and thereby producing enough food to feed the entire world forever. You mustn't turn your back on your work now. Oh, very well, but under one condition. Yes, we know that you work alone and in secret. Something else you should be aware of. 
Since returning to mechanical life, I am now able to hypnotize people simply by flashing the white reflectors in my eyes. And I can also see anybody or anything just by thinking about it. I can also throw my voice to... Uh, wow, that's great, son. Uh, okay, you work on your vegetables, and I'll just slink around the mansion and lift my eyebrows one at a time like I'm having delusional thoughts. Later that night, Henry Spencer finds Anne wandering aimlessly around the mansion and decides that he's waited long enough for her to stop grieving the loss of her husband. What's new, pussycat? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hello, Anne. You look uh, lovely this evening. Oh, hello. Thank you, Henry. I've been thinking. I know it's only been two days since Jeremy was run over by that speeding army truck, but we can't mourn forever. We must go on with our lives. What are you trying to say? I'm saying, Anne, that maybe we should take the... Bra uh, uh, Billy and the three of us go to Hawaii for a week or two. You and I can, well, you know, c connect. Oh, Henry, I don't know. Anne, Anne, you may not know it, but you need me. You need me as much as I need you. Oh, Henry... I didn't know how much I yearned for you until you forced that slobbery kiss on me. Yes, Henry, yes! Let's be happy together! What's that strange noise? Oh, it's a hideous mechanical monster thingy! Ah! My wife! You took my wife! I'll get you for this hanky-panky, Henry! Your body is dead. Anne couldn't love a two-ton, that's 3,000 pounds, hunk of bolts that resembles Yule Brenner on acid. Finders keepers, losers weepers. It's too early to kill you just now, but when I have developed an overly elaborate way to eliminate you, watch out, buckaroo, because I am going to kill 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 you. Henry Spencer decides he can live just fine without Anne beside him, and after chucking her on her bed, he packs a few clothes and hightails it for another part of the city. Later the next day, Billy is out in the cemetery, playing like all kids do when... <laughs> Billy, come over here. Who said that? It's me, your father. You're not my dad. You're some giant robot. Why are you hiding in the bushes? It's me, all right. I just look different from the last time you saw me. I wanted to give you a present because I've missed you, and it's a good technique for establishing me as a somewhat sympathetic character before I do the evil things I'm going to do in a few minutes. Okay, where's the present? Guess. Mm, in that pocket. No! Don't ever touch me there, Billy. You could make me fall down, and I'd never get up again. That's my secret off switch. I have to beat over the heads of the audience so they know how I'm going to be stopped on my murderous rampage. What about this pocket? Wow! A glider just like the one you chased out in the street the day you were run over by that speeding army truck. Thanks, Dad giant robot guy. Later that night, the Colossus wrecks his family's basement. 
What in the name of heaven? The world is full of bums who do not appreciate my humanitarian efforts of growing vegetables in the North Pole. For that, all shall suffer. All humanitarians everywhere must die. Uh, hold that thought, son. Uh, uh, hello. Uh, thank God, Henry. Where are you? Yes, well, could you hold on a minute? I'm, I'm having a conversation with Jeremy. Jeremy is just a little bit upset. Is that my brother? Is it? Look into my flashing eyes. <laughs> Tell Henry to meet you on the 35th Street Bridge. Uh, Henry, meet me on the 35th Street Bridge. Everything will be fine. I have a plan. Everything will be fine. I have a plan. Goodbye. Very well done, Father. Now, heed these instructions. Tomorrow night at precisely 8.30, you will bring yourself, Anne, and Billy to the United Nations. Do not be late. 8.30, uh, United Nations, don't be late. Little does Henry Spencer realize that even while he smokes a cigarette and waits for his father to arrive, that the mighty Colossus is lumbering around behind an aquarium shoved in front of a camera lens to simulate a walk on the floor of the New York Harbor. No. No. It, it can't be. Die. 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 With one glance of his eye-mounted disruptors, the robot's disintegration ray hits his brother in a cheesy flash of pitiful black-and-white reverse negative not-so-special effects. <laughs> the next evening, Dr. Spencer is overcome by the Colossus's post-hypnotic suggestion, and just as he was instructed to do, he carts his entire family to the U.N. building. At exactly 8.30, pandemonium breaks loose. Die, you pathetic goody-two-shoes! You humanitarian Body scum, die! All of you die! You don't deserve my North Pole vegetables! pounds his rage on his giant robot dad's metal chest. I can no longer help myself, Billy. You must destroy me. Pull the secret lever, son, before my batteries recharge and I zap some more third-rate extras. Harder, Billy. was wrong to steal his brain and try to make him live again. I only did it for the good of humanity, though. I hope he knows that in whatever hell he wakes up in. If the Colossus had been my creation, I don't suppose I would have given him disruptor eyeballs, hypnotic powers, the ability to walk underwater. But then, what do I know? I'm just paid to entertain the public. Come along, Bigor! Until we meet again, we wish you a good evening. And remember, don't build more than you can destroy! 
All right, we're back. We're here with Charles Pratt, the, uh, what would I call you as far as Schlock Audio Theater? Are you the, the mastermind? Uh, uh, how about the co-creator? Because without Bruce's ideas... That's Bruce Humphreys. Yeah, Bruce Humphreys. He contributed just as much uh, as I did. Uh, it, was, it was a really nice collaboration. I love Bruce. And they were available online, but they don't appear to be anymore. I had a I had a Schlock Audio website for oh I don't know quite a while, and when I discontinued it, I, I think a lot of the uh, audios went with it. I think because you hosted the audio on the website as opposed to what a lot of other folks do, they put it on places like Libsyn or SoundCloud is another one where. They allow you to host audio, so when your website went away, nobody can access Schlock anywhere, until now. Until now. So talk about Colossus of New York. Why choose that one for your first Schlock Audio Theater? Colossus of New York is one of the first monster movies I remember seeing as a kid, and I just found that movie, I, I think I downloaded it, so I thought, well, this is perfect. I, I've got this movie right here on my laptop. So I started watching it and started schlocking it. And that's that's how we decided on Colossus in New York. It sounds like the production is performed live in front of an audience. Is that the case? That is true, yeah. Uh, the, the very first one was performed live. I can't remember the venue, but yeah, that... They didn't do that in Bruce's little audio studio. They they done that in front of a dinner audience. Were you able to attend? I was not. Nope. But I, I was excited to death about it, and I, I couldn't wait to hear it. I was really pretty lost when I, I wrote Colossus. Really? Because, yeah, because I was really trying... Part of me really wanted to follow the movie as the movie was, give it a serious interpretation, and but Bruce wanted me to make it funny, so I just sat down and I watched the, oh my god, I don't think I can watch the Colossus in New York for another decade at least, because... I would watch it on my laptop, and then I would write down a few ideas I thought were funny, and then I'd go back and I'd watch it again, listen to the dialogue. For me, it was a really slow process writing those, because I had to remember what they said, how they said it, and then I had to run that through the, let's really make this silly and funny filter. Some of it was obviously already funny as it was, right. but audio is a different medium. That was something else that I, I struggled really hard with. Part of the charm of those cult movies and low-budget affairs are the incontinuities. It's daylight, it's dark, it's daylight again. The whole thing was a lot harder than than it would have been just to sit down and do a, a straight, serious adaptation of whichever cult film. What was the evolution of Schlock? How did it come to be? Well, I uh, I was really influenced by a, a late night TV show that I watched as a kid on KSHB out of Kansas City. It was called uh, All Night Live. 
and basically it, it had a, a host who done funny things and said funny things and they would play monster movies and twilight zones and old movie cliffhangers and so on so anyway when i started playing with the audio drama and i met bruce humphreys i'd sent him a script for a bible play it, that was the the first audio play that i'd written was a bible play and so i met him through that and we got to talking and I, I shared this big idea I had for a uh, radio program, and he thought it was kind of awful uh, <laughs> because he he said because I wanted to straight up adapt old movies like uh, Carnival of Souls, which I, I dearly love. I, I adore that movie. I became friends with uh, John Clifford, the guy that was the screenwriter of Carnival of Souls. He passed away several years ago, but I, I love that film, and I would love to do a serious adaptation uh, like a, a book. I, I would love to turn that movie into a novel. And There's not already a novelization out there? Not that I'm aware of. There's a comic, there's a comic adaptation, huh. but it, it's just a really, really cornerstone movie for a lot of things that came after it there was the twilight zone occurrence at owl creek bridge which happens a guy is dying you don't know the guy is dying and so all of these events are happening to this guy as he hangs between life and death and i think uh, carnival of souls was one of george romero's influences so here it is this little tiny kansas movie it's very atmospheric but it's really really impacted a lot of folks and so anyway i i really dug that that was the first slock i wanted to do but it it wasn't go- it wasn't going to be a schlock it was going to be a, a straight up adaptation of yeah it. it sounds sounds like it really wouldn't fit the schlock model and i wanted to give it a, a serious elaboration and and kind of fill in some of the blanks and so i was going to be s- serious about it so so you were looking to do a serious adaptation and possibly yeah. and possibly improve them well i don't know if improve is the word but elaborate on them and kind of give a uh, old sci-fi horror feeling to audio drama that gotcha. kind of tastes a low budget and everything but Bruce thought that that wouldn't fly that people would be bored by it and he said but he liked the the concept of doing something like that but he thought comedy would be the way to do it because more people might find it funny. There'd only be a, a certain few people of the same mind as I was that that stuff was really cool. And and so anyway, he said, adapt one of those movies, send it to me, but really ham it up. Well, you said earlier about uh, translating a movie to audio, and the, I, one of the lines that really stuck with me is the one where he says, you mustn't touch me here because this is how I will be destroyed at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> In those old monster movies and those types of films, that they have always got to telegraph how the monster is going to be destroyed. 
and they they have to really hammer that stuff home. It's, it's not good enough to tell you once or twice, but they have to let you know, yes, the monster will be killed by the end, and this is exactly how we're going to do it. And we're going to tell you six times. Now, you said you didn't really do comedy before. Was it your line or Bruce's? He's dead, but I've seen worse. I believe that was mine, sir, but it, it's been been a lot of years so I can't say for sure. And again, on all of these, I would do the first pass, and then I'd send it to Bruce, who would read it. And I was learning. Bruce was much more accomplished with it than, than I was. And he'd either call or send back notes and say, hey, Charles, you need to change this, or this isn't working. Or how about this line? And, and he would riff on something I wrote and make it funnier. So not every line you hear in those were mine. Uh, a lot of it was uh, just a collaborative effort between both of us. Well, this first one started strong, and it's an honor to help bring this back to the Internet so future generations can enjoy more schlock and maybe check out the original movie. Speaking of which... I wonder how much the schlock version contributes to people exploring the original movie. Oh, gosh. Well, that's, you know, was something I feel very strongly about. I, I'm really hoping with e any of, of the schlocks that I do or have done that that will lead somebody to watch the movie that it's based on. Because even though I'm, I'm having fun and it's, it's funny... I, I have a deep love for those films, and I, I want those films to continually be discovered by new audiences. And so that, that's very much my hope, is that people will go back and watch those films for themselves. Well, I think that really shows. Charles, thanks for uh, joining us on Texas Radio Theater, and thanks for sharing the uh, behind-the-scenes, behind-the-schlock. And I'd like to invite you back soon so we can talk about Plan 9 from Outer Space. I was glad to be here. That was Charles Pratt, co-creator of Schlock Audio Theater, talking about Colossus of New York. Like he said, there's not much online about Schlock anymore, so you'll just have to stay tuned to this podcast to hear more. Now, our very next podcast will feature something special for Audio Drama Day, another piece that we didn't do, but we really think it's appropriate. Think Ed Wood, but for real, on the radio. After that, we plan to return with more schlock for a while. And one more thing. There's a first-ever modern audio drama conference planned in Nova Scotia in the summer of 2020. Madcon.com. Jack Ward of the Sonic Society made this promo, which I'd like to share with you right now. It was late June a year ago, and I had just gotten off the plane from a trip to Texas that was one of the most meaningful experiences in my life. I just said a final goodbye to a longtime friend I had met in the audio drama world, Bill Hallwig. Along with his daughter Bailey and a couple of his many friends, Lothar Tuppen, his wife Jan, and Jeffrey Billard, we wiped our tears and scattered his ashes at Cross Plains, Texas, the home of Robert E. Howard. Together, the four of us cemented a bond that has only deepened and expressed itself in new audio drama productions and a monthly podcast where we get to look at old-time radio and analyze it. And we talk, Jeff, Lothar, and I, at least through email, almost every day since that fateful weekend. I remember coming off the plane and into Halifax Airport and thinking very clearly, what now, Bill? I didn't want this connection to end. And 
And that's when it hit me. Why not a way to have everyone come together? You know, the modern audio drama movement in its current blossoming mirrors the rise of podcasting. The Sonic Society for 15 years now has been blessed with almost 200 different companies and producers and closing on to a thousand different shows weekly and even multiple times a week. So with the help of many people, not the least my Amigo brothers Lothar and Jeff, Brian Bocchicchio, Matt Leong, and so many more, and with the kind donations of our partners and my oldest childhood friend, Chris Morano, I'm so happy to announce that we can get together. All of us. And here's how. Come to Halifax, Nova Scotia, in July 24th to the 26th of 2020, and we'll have a ball. We've already booked the rooms, halls, and even a theater for a series of live performances on Saturday night. People you may have known for years will be there, and all new friends, creators and fans alike. Let's get together because there's never been anything like it. This is the world's first conference focused only on the modern audio drama movement. Mad-Con.com. That's M-A-D-C-O-N.com. The website is up. And reservations are ready for your place in history. Myself, David Alt, Austin Beach, Tanya Malevich, Lothar Toppin, Matt Leong, Jeffrey Billard, John Bell, and so many more are going to be there. As we fill the ranks, we'll let you know who else is coming. A full weekend, July 24th to the 26th of 2020. Mad-Con.com. Get registered today. There never is another first time. Here's our time. Can't wait to see you there. I'm Jack Ward. Audio drama's been a part of my life now for almost 20 years. The people in it have given so very much to me. And now here's my chance to say thank you. That's why I'm going to mad-con.com and getting my ticket. See you in Halifax. See you in MadCon in 2020. So next time, a special audio drama day offering... And then back to Schlock for a while. Um, It'll be fun. Thanks again for listening to the Texas Radio Theater Podcast. And remember to watch more radio.